Hello everybody and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast where- Oh no, Godzilla! <laughs> Don't you mean, hooray, Godzilla! <laughs> He's, I, I wasn't expecting Godzilla today because normally we no one expects the, <laughs> Godzilla, Godzilla evolution. Uh, wait, uh, that, turn that off. That was on me. That's that, you. Was that your? Was, no. Yes. Oh, it was. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. Okay. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. All right. First off, we have our Godzilla podcast every Friday, but there is a brand new Godzilla movie, and we're reviewing it on this show. That's right. This week on critically acclaimed, we are reviewing uh, Godzilla minus one. Candy Cane Lane, Silent Night, and Eileen. The first week in December is often a little lean. Uh, and we're certainly experiencing one of those. Um, but uh, I had been undergoing some technical difficulties. I had to use an old computer. And my computer that was in the shop just came back today. And they basically were able to save... Nothing. The only thing they were able to oh. save was the stickers. So I'm still changing all of the settings and getting them all uh, correct. So let me see if I can uh, make sure that that doesn't happen again. But um, in any case, yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, if you're wondering like why some of our Patreon episodes are a little late, uh, it's because they were on this computer's like version of GarageBand. And my old computer wasn't good enough to update to the right version of GarageBand, and it wouldn't let me access all the files. A couple of podcasts are coming soon. Uh, Whitney. Yes. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm pretty good. That's cute, man. I'm kind of still, even though it was uh, a week ago, still recovering a little bit from Thanksgiving because mm. uh, we went out of town for Thanksgiving and went, got on planes and drove around a lot and drove from. Las Vegas to Los Angeles, which is like a seven-hour drive because yeah. traffic was so bad when we hit the road. It's an exhausting time of year in oh. general, but all that travel's uh, got to make it worse. I'll say this: mm. if if you are if you're a, if you live in Los Angeles and you drive to L.A. or yeah. you drive to Las Vegas, yeah, uh, you take the 15. It's the freeway. Yeah, it's been a long time, and, but yeah, and, I think, yeah. and you're going to pass through certain checkpoints. You're going to pass mm. through uh, Barstow. Yep. You're going to pass through Baker, California. Yep. Uh, that's that's the uh, fear and loathing path. Yeah, the bigger it, bar exactly, yeah. Uh, Somewhere on the edge of the desert, when the drugs will begin to take hold. Um, no, Baker is the site of Alien Fresh Jerky. Ah, yes. Uh, if, alien it, Fresh you, Jerky. You've seen a lot of the the billboards I had clam on Jerky there once. Not as Co- good as it sounds, <laughs> and it sounds bad. <laughs> clam Jerky sounds revolting. They, they will jerk anything at Alien Jerky. By God, not anything. Elbow, elbow, elbow. Um, no, I'm sorry, that was terrible. That was. Terrible. Uh, but uh, they also have the world's largest thermometer. That's yep. that's the big tourist attraction, mm. and you'll see uh, billboards for hundreds of miles in either direction for either Peggy Sue's Fifties Diner, yep, or the Mad Greek. I've actually never uh, been to either of those. Uh, I, for the first time, mm. I'm in my mid-40s, have now eaten at the Mad Greek. Have you eaten at Peggy Sue? Not at Peggy Sue. Is the Mad Greek mm. worth stopping at? It is. Okay. I get the idea with the Mad... It's not just because, you know, Baker is just this one stretch and that has, like, you know, gas stations and Jack in the Box and, you yeah. know, Taco Bell, the usual it's garbage. A, a place where uh, people go through rather than spend a lot yeah. of time visiting. Yeah. Uh, I would love to meet somebody who lives in Baker. Oh, but yeah. um, uh, the Mad Greek, little uh, Greek fast food restaurant, you get some falafel. Really good. Yeah. And they have kittens. <gasps> 
There was, there was a little patio. It was enclosed. They said, don't open the door too quickly because there's little mm-hmm. kittens in there. Yeah. You go out there and there's little kittens. So you can have Greek food, pet some kittens, and then hit the road. You win. But that's everything you need when what? you're on like a really long road trip. That's everything you need today. Like, <laughs> who could ask for anything more? Uh-huh. Rhythm, music, pa. Give <laughs> me some Greek food and kittens. Kittens and falafel, and I'm great. <laughs> nice. Um, so yeah, uh, mm. let's uh, let's just jump right in. Let's review okay. some some motion pictures. Uh, now again, on our show, thank Godzilla. It's Friday where we review uh, a new Godzilla movie every Friday. We do that in order. Uh, we will eventually get to Godzilla minus zero. Like I think in June, Godzilla minus year. one. I'm sorry, Godzilla minus one. Godzilla minus zero would just be zero. Godzilla minus zero would just be Godzilla. Okay, thank you. <laughs> but we're gonna get to we're gonna do like a whole like hour really dissecting the hell uh. out of Godzilla minus one when we get to that on that show. It is a new release. Uh, it's doing rather well. It's actually got a pretty big. It's made over like ten million dollars, which is pretty good in for an international. Third at the box office, which is high for, for a an Godzilla picture. Well, yeah. for any international release to just mm. first weekend get like over ten million dollars. In America is unusual. Yeah. Uh, it's cool though. Yeah, I, and... I feel like we've turned some sort of corner. Mm. I think we're we're back at a point where I think interesting films are going to start coming out again from like major studios. Yeah, uh, because ordinarily, like for the last decade, yeah. you'd go on the social medias. First of all, social media is collapsing like a flan in a cupboard. But mm. uh, the conversation was all about the big pop blockbusters. Yeah, yeah, as it often was. Often was, but I'm, you log on these days, and there's a lot of really impassioned conversations being had about May December. Yeah, granted, like, that like, is that is your feed. I understand this not is my feed, feed is and every, same, everyone's you know? feed is completely different, and it's not yeah. not an accurate depiction of any kind of reality or consensus. Right, but uh, where I once saw discussions of just the minutia of superhero movies or what's going to come up in mm-hmm. Star Wars is now being occupied by Todd Haynes. And I like that. I like that a lot too. I finally cut up with May December, by the mm-hmm. way, and you were right. It is exceptional. Yeah. Uh, it's probably going to make my best of the year list, but still a little early. Um, but yeah, no, we, we had, and this is, and we're just talking about the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the people who write about podcast about make YouTube videos about TikToks about, uh, movies mm-hmm. for a big, if not for a living, then certainly for a big part of what they do, uh, have really been chasing after what people are interested in hearing about. And there are certainly people like us who will do stuff that no one gives a shit about. We had a podcast once that was all about like different people watching my dinner with Andre. We are not chasing <laughs> SEO, <laughs> but. Uh, a lot of people do, and certainly it's part of you know the industry. And we'll do things like you know, oh, is uh, w- w- is there a new show like this out? And there's like a similar cancel too soon show. We'll 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 do a tie-in, but it's been driven by the same movies, the same types of movies, not mm. exclusively superhero movies, but franchise movies, nostalgia movies. Uh, you know, Disney animated yeah. movies. There's been a very particular... So not, not to put too fine, fine a point on it, but things teenage boys are into. Well, that's always been the, the demographic ever yeah. since, like, American International started changing sort of the paradigm. But the... the the we, we kept focusing on and making endless amounts of articles and shows about the same types of movies 
over and over again. It was inevitable, and frankly, I'm amazed it lasted so long, that there would eventually be a little bit of a cool-off of interest. Yeah. Just because people do become complacent, even if they still like mm. things. It's like that episode... Even of, if the movies are still pretty good, good, good yeah. or entertaining. It's and... just, it no longer feels like a special event it's the poochie episode of the simpsons where it what's wrong with itchy and scratchy why don't kids like love it anymore it's like there's nothing wrong with it it's just been that for so long Mm -hmm. it's hard to get excited about it and that's what the entertainment industry is always looking for something new to get excited about you and i have talked a lot about how for example in like the early 90s uh after the slasher boom died Uh out and the horror genre became kind of unmoored until mm-hmm. like Scream and the Irony Wave kind of like sent it off into the late 90s. But there's like a chunk mm-hmm. in like the early to mid 90s where there was no one trend that everyone was chasing in the horror genre. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. oh, we're only doing uh, found ha- footage or we're only doing J-horror yeah. remakes. No, no. Everyone was just trying to figure out what that new thing was. And that was the most exciting time. So great. You'd get... And uh, one of my favorite horror movies came out during that time. John Carpenter made In the Mouth of Madness, which is about uh, a Stephen King-like author yeah. who's new book is has been written but the publishers don't have it yet and they hired an insurance invest it's a horror movie about an insurance investigator sure played by sam neill and uh he starts reading these books and it's implied through a lot of these earlier segments that the books are making people go insane yeah. like they're that scary is that a publicity stunt or is that actually happening yeah. and and we know it's actually happening because there was a prologue where he's in an asylum yeah so uh it's a great movie. And yeah, he goes on a, a road trip to find this missing author and drives into a town that's fictional, like yeah, the author from wrote. from his books, yeah. Oh, it's great. And, and, and honestly, a lot of my favorite horror movies mm-hmm. are from that era. So I I know a lot of people are like concerned they like really loved that wave. And, you know, a lot of people, that was kind of like part of their personality for a little while. <laughs> and, and, and can still be, by all means. It, it's, it's okay, but... I think it's exciting to make room for new things to sort of take up space. And if what's going to take up space is a somewhat more mature approach to not just dramatic films like May, December, but films like Godzilla. Uh (laughs) Well, just that's great because Godzilla minus one is a mature, interesting drama with Godzilla in it and a whole bunch of badass Godzilla stuff. It really is Hmm. the dream. It's the, intelligent, <laughs> it's the intelligent blockbuster that operates on an intelligent level mm. and also gives you those blockbuster kicks. It It's really good about the blockbuster kicks. I'll give yeah. you that. Godzilla Minus One uh, is... A, um, it's sort of a pity that they didn't continue with the Shin Godzilla mm. continuity. Instead of do, doing that, they just did Shin Other Properties. This year also saw mm. Shin Ultraman uh-huh. and Shin Master Rider. Those oh. both came out this year Which in are both the United States. Really good, especially yeah. Ultraman. I, Ultraman I, is great. I need to finish Ultraman. I saw like twenty minutes of Ultraman oh, yeah. and had to turn it off. No, so you've, then you've seen to nothing because it. it's very episodic. So, you, oh. <laughs> so it goes in so all, many wild. All I know directions. is that they they used like vintage music so it yeah. feels really authentic but it's yeah. like modern special effects it look, yeah. yeah it's great i loved everything i've seen so far but i can't really review it or, or comment yeah. on you it you should get around um, to it sometime but yeah uh toho is back with another godzilla continuity this is godzilla minus one uh it's set prior to the events of the original godzilla it's yes. set in the starts in the mid 40s yeah uh, and it's and not it's, a prequel. This is a different sort of continuity. Yeah. Yeah. And in this continuity, Godzilla already exists, but he's a little guy. 
That, that, that is to say, is about only about fifteen feet tall. He's like the size of like the original King Kong, like yeah. pretty big, but mm. y- you know, you not like gonna yeah. stomp on a skyscraper big. And the movie yeah. is actually about a kamikaze pilot from World War II yeah. who has returned from his mission. Well, I guess he didn't do his mission then. Exactly, uh, and there's and, a lot of, there's he a lot feels of a, emotions about and that. And he feels really guilty about he wasn't able to fulfill his duty to his country and sacrifice his life bravely. Mm. And uh, when he lands that uh, at sort of this little tiny island, just sort of say, well, I guess I kind of failed everything. And the engineers there is like, you, how dare you that you didn't fulfill your mission? That's when Godzilla attacks. Yeah. Kills everybody on the island. Yeah. Except and, for this guy. So not only did he fail his mission, but now he has survivor's guilt. And, and uh, like, and, and it's not just that he was there. They were like, get in your plane. You were the only, your plane is the only like guns big enough to stop him from killing us. He gets in the plane and then he freezes up. So it, mm-hmm. he, he really feels like it's his fault. Yeah. He returns. We cut to a couple of years later it's after the war uh and you know the the country is devastated yeah yeah. he goes home his family home is obliterated his parents are dead his neighbors lost all of her family and he just chances upon uh, a young woman and a baby it's not even her baby she Mm -hmm. just someone just gave this baby to her say please take care of this baby and then they're gone uh and for a few years, they kind of start a life together, but he refuses to emotionally connect with her mm. and even admit that they are in love or, at the very least, so partnered up that they would want to get married. More, more than anything, like rather than just sort of uh, having a stymied romance, he's withdrawn from humanity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he, just because of his war trauma, and he represents what the nation's going through. His yeah. his inner devastation matches the devastation around him. Yeah. Off camera, Godzilla is irradiated and grows to an enormous size. It's not it's entirely hard. off camera. There's like a little tiny. Boom! Here's Godzilla's eye. We're done. Yeah, like <laughs> it's, it, very it, it's, it's it's completely uh, yeah. perfunctory. Just that the Godzilla yeah. grows to enormous size, uh, and now that Godzilla is an enormous size and also irradiated, mm-hmm. uh, it goes stomping through all the buildings. This there's some really exciting destruction montages mm-hmm. that we don't get from a lot of. Um, not even the American Godzilla films no. have sequences like they this don't, anymore. The American Godzilla movies of late, the mm-hmm. the MonsterVerse ones. Um, they don't seem to relish in the carnage. And I think, mm. you know, you look at the Gareth Edwards film and it's got, one, it's one of those, it's not directly in the wake of 9-11, but it does feel like that mm. tone, mm-hmm. that post 9-11, there's nothing entertaining about this. This is pure horror. Yeah. Kind of, a, there's a place for that. But that is definitely something that is, even this movie, which is very serious, mm. understands we want to see Godzilla fuck yeah, some shit up. And Godzilla is a lot has a lot more human features this time around. Godzilla has bigger, more expressive, angry eyes. Uh, mm-hmm. Godzilla has like very human, almost sexy shoulders, like as like big, big human like arms yeah. and, and gigantic feet. Yeah, uh, it's almost like even though it's a CGI creation, they want you to think that they could have put a guy in a suit. A, a bit, it's a got bit, those yeah. Dimensions, yeah. Like you, you compare this Godzilla to Shin Godzilla. That Shin Godzilla was like, like a monster. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> like an actual wild or, or you, like sea you, creature. You, you couldn't like wrap your head around it. Like it, it actually showed up first in the movie as something without arms and legs. Yeah, it's just this big fish with dead eyes flopping around, spewing oh, like red glop all over I the streets. I was not ready yeah. for that. I'm, you know, that was so <laughs> used to what Godzilla like looked like. Uh, the idea of not just seeing like a younger Godzilla or like a Godzilla who isn't fully mutated yet. 
yet. But just a Godzilla who isn't fully formed. Yeah. It's such a strange choice. Great, though. It worked yeah. amazing. It and, really sticks And then when, when the Godzilla sort of evolves, even Godzilla grows arms, but they're vestigial. There's just these little yeah. branches. Godzilla breathes nuclear breath, but like his head almost comes off in Shin Godzilla. Like there's, yeah. there's like no brain in there almost. It's yeah. like this weird mindless force of radiation. Yeah. This one's a lot more of a human monster. It, well, it's, it's a lot more uh, like jaws really, where they give it a lot of like sinister personality. And indeed mm-hmm. there's a sequence where uh, Godzilla swims after a tugboat that's firing yeah. guns at him. Actually a lot of this movie takes place uh, at sea because that's where Godzilla's attacking a lot of boats. Uh, and that's uh, where they think they can actually sort of get the upper hand on Godzilla in the second half of the movie, but I don't want to go into too much detail on that. Um, I think you're overselling the humanity of Godzilla in this one, because I really do think it's less... Because we've seen Godzilla with humanity. We've seen Godzilla literally like talk with speech bubbles yeah. in like the Showa-era Godzilla, which we've talked about on Thank Godzilla, It's Friday, um, which is really funny. And kind of fun, uh-huh. but it's a very goofy version of Godzilla. This version of Godzilla, it has a personality, but it's a pissed off personality. <laughs> it's just a pissed off monster, but it has, there's this one bit where like it's attacking a city and it like, there's like an elevated train that goes by mm-hmm. and Godzilla kind of plays with it. Well, he's kind of interested um, in it, you know? There's a famous image of Godzilla. It was a publicity photo from 1954 of Godzilla eating a train. Yeah. Like, holding a a one train car in one hand and, like... Eating it like a Snickers. Some some trains, like, sort of hanging from its jaws. Yeah. uh, Which isn't in the movie. No. That image is, was made for publicity, and I yeah. feel like... This is like an homage to yeah, that? Yeah, it's like an homage to that original poster, where he picks yeah. up a, a, an elevated train and starts snacking on it. I love the thing that they do for Godzilla's fire breath in this movie, mm-hmm. where, like, all of, like, the spikes on his back, like, pop up. Yeah. Because they, they... it's so charged with energy, his spikes <laughs> go, tunk, like, and stick out mm-hmm. more. I love that. It's such a... There's so much detail. In this movie, his like actual like period piece detail. It's a handsome production. It looks very convincing, um, but also just the monster itself. There's a lot of very particular. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not just like just th- throw a bunch of generalities out there. They're like really thought through every di- different element. But here's the thing, and this is the thing that makes Godzilla minus one. I think one of the best Godzilla movies. Now I've only seen in my defense, in, in not even my defense. I, I apologize. I've only seen 24 Godzilla movies. <laughs> There's a few we haven't gotten to and Thank Godzilla's Friday that I've seen, but like I've counted just to be sure. I've seen 24 of these suckers. That's not enough. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> We're getting to it. We're going to get to it. But um, of the ones I've seen, this is one of the best. I'm not... Ha- hmm. I'm, a lot of people are saying this is the best. I think it might be a little... Um, that's a little... Premature, rest- maybe. Maybe yeah. a little premature... But I do think it belongs in the conversation with the original uh, Gojira and Shin Godzilla, which to me were the gold Mm. standard before this. Uh, Those are all movies which have the devastation, have the destruction, have like that, you know, uh, production value, if you will, but are actually also about something, have something interesting on their mind and explore it using Godzilla as part of the narrative, as opposed to just getting Godzilla to kick a bunch of ass and, like, tacking something on, which even some of the really fun ones do that, like the ones I like. It's not particularly pointed storytelling, but it is a lot of fun. Godzilla Minus One is a great example of showing that you can do both. 
and this is actually one of the Godzilla movies where the human characters are not just interesting enough to like really warrant spending a lot of time with them because sometimes they're not. They're interesting enough that if Godzilla never showed up, I'd want to see their movie. All right. Like I think it's it's it would be a kind of a simple straightforward melodrama, mm. but I do think the performances are really good. I think they they understand uh, sort of the emotional crux of it, and also sort of the historical context of it of a nation uh, rebuilding and reckoning with you know this was mm. a this is a kamikaze pilot who becomes to believe over the course of the film that maybe his destiny is to fulfill mm. that. Mm. That's a concern. That's a suspense element in the film. But the movie also acknowledges, what does it say that an entire like country said that was heroism? Yeah. And well, can like, they now move right. past that? And I think that's really interesting. What's going on is... Uh, we've been watching all these Godzilla movies, yeah. and... In most of them, especially through the sh- the second half of the Showa era, mm-hmm. and we've talked about a lot about this, which is the first era, by the way, we uh, we don't care about those pesky human characters for the most part. Uh, no. We we want Godzilla. We like Godzilla. He's our yeah. hero now. Yeah, uh, and uh, humanity is really pushed off to the side in those movies. The yeah. the, the story is perfunctory or not given enough attention or just nonsensical. Yeah, a lot of uh, the times it's just. Pure nonsense. Yeah, it's which can be fun, but it's pure nonsense. Uh, I I happen to like that breed of nonsense, but it's nonsense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this Godzilla movie is one of the f- first that really kind of highlights humanity and the triumph of the human spirit. Yeah, um, humanity uh, taking bold action to stop a a, a force of destruction mm-hmm. and kind of redeem themselves. Yeah, which mm-hmm. to my eye makes it uh, kind of boring. Uh, it, it, that, that, it turns it into just sort of really typical off the rack action thriller motivations that I've seen in a hundred other movies before. Um, I'm, I'm going to do something bold and heroic and we're going to do all this like cool action stuff. And, uh, it's, it's a perfectly decent action thriller, Mm. uh, which is a little bit odd for Godzilla. We don't get a lot of Godzillas that have a tone like this that is actually really, um, quick moving and predicated on action and and uh and character drama kind of driving yeah, as well exactly yeah. And, yeah. and character drama um so that's novel for a godzilla film and i can see why a lot of american audiences are reacting positively to it it feels american it's, it's uh, it, a lot of it's, it's kind of american yeah, yeah like it, that, it yeah. deals with uh you Which know, we've seen before it, de- you know. it deals with you know japanese wartime trauma it deals with uh you know kamikaze pilots it deals with a lot of japanese concepts but in terms of its tone and execution, it feels like an American action thriller. Mm-hmm. And uh, not to the point where it feels like that rotten Roland Emmerich film from 1998. Oh, heavens no. Um, like, it's a classy yeah. Hollywood-type thriller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but it's it's a Hollywood thriller. I see and, point. And I think that's uh, slightly less interesting than something they did with, like, Shin Godzilla, where uh, Godzilla is actually a terrifying monster and it's about mm-hmm. bureaucracy failing to stop uh, a natural disaster. Or it, in that case, it's like a metaphor for Fukushima. Right, but, right, right. Uh, yeah. You know, you bring up an interesting point, which is that, you know, of the three, you know, probably most acclaimed Godzilla movies, and I'll include this in that list, mm-hmm. um, Gojira and Shin Godzilla are mm-hmm. comparatively very cynical films. Yeah. Uh, Gojira was about, okay, so... Well, they're both about destruction. Well, they're both about destruction, but, you know, whereas Shin Godzilla was about sort of the failure of bureaucracy, it's a very... Uh, Mm. As far as politics goes, it's very 
uh, critical films criticizing mm. um, Gojira was about how the creation of Godzilla was something that could only be stopped by essentially the proliferation mm. of weapons of mass destruction on a yeah. nuclear scale they invented a, a weapon for that movie that didn't exist but they treated it with that same severity do, even to destroy Godzilla do we dare use it? Yeah. And at the end of the movie, when, spoiler, they defeat Godzilla, um, it's sad. Yeah. Not just because Godzilla was just some some monster that was, you know, dangerous and they, had to be dealt with in some capacity. They, they kind of sold themselves out. They sold their souls, essentially. Yeah. There's, there, is a, there is a darkness to that. And it is seen as a tragic end. It's not a, it's not a happy ending. It's it's really sad that it led to this, mm. uh, and uh, Shin Godzilla is has a slightly different attitude, but it it is a very cynical attitude. You're right, Godzilla minus one is comparatively hopeful. Uh, it is not about, but it's also about, and th- but this is the thing I think is kind of interesting, and I think I, I'm hesitant to treat positivity or hopefulness or optimism. Uh, as uh, uh, superficial or Mm. uh, less than. Um, I think optimism, when tempered with a a dose of reality, Mm. uh, can be incredibly powerful. Optimism doesn't have to be a denial of reality. Optimism can be an acknowledgement of reality and still believing it's possible to be better. And still actively trying to do that. And I think what's happening in Godzilla Minus One is um, the characters in this movie, you know, they could go down the path that Gojira went through. Mm. So they could just retell that story if they really wanted to. But they don't. And there's actually a pointed effort to solve this problem in a way that the nation can be proud of. Mm. And... That's a rewriting of, of Godzilla history. Uh, and honestly, I think it is indicative of... Even in these incredibly bleak times in which we live... Mm. A nugget of hope that doesn't feel... Like a lie. Okay, contrived. It doesn't yeah. feel... I mean, it is contrived because it's, mm. it's a melodrama. But like, it feels earned. It feels like the, what the characters have been through uh-huh. isn't making that cheap. And I think that is incredibly satisfying right now. I think we're at a point where we need, or at least we're 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 looking for, uh, hope that we can believe in and not just view as escapism. And I think right. Godzilla minus one does an admirable job of tempering that optimism with enough genuine hmm. drama, horror, and acknowledgement right. of what actually happened in World War II. Uh, I, I suppose I agree to an extent. Um, that said, the the filmmaking is a little corny. Uh, I'm not okay. just talking about the concept of no. optimism. I'm talking about the, the way no. the film was made there, and the, some... the the way it presents its optimism is sure. is a little bit uh, sometimes it's... more than others. Okay, yeah, there's there's a, a bit little, at the end, little bit over the top. There's and, a bit uh, at the end where I was like, okay, that feels like a Hollywood we, we, studio. We don't need now. a lot of like hurrah yeah. moments. You know? Yeah, but there's a couple yeah. moments that feel a little bit more contrived than others. I'll mm-hmm. give you that, but I don't think the movie revolves around. No, it. no, 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 but. Uh, it's it's going it's it's a deeply satisfying movie. Yeah, uh, satisfying doesn't necessarily mean a great movie. There are true, a lot true. of there 
pieces of garbage that are satisfying. That's true. Uh, There's also a lot of pieces of garbage that, that aren't. Yeah, to yeah be fair. that's true. <laughs> Just because the movie is cynical doesn't make it good. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, it's all in the telling, isn't it? Yes, uh, it is. But uh, yeah, I I really liked Godzilla minus one. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's not one of my favorites though. But okay. I, I'm I'm understanding why Americans are responding to it the way they well, are. Godzilla, you know, now that I've been watching so much Godzilla and I have grown to appreciate the many facets of the character and how uh, different filmmakers have di- treated Godzilla differently over different eras, and there's still a few bits of that I'm I'm unfamiliar with. Um, I've come to view Godzilla a little bit like I've come to view something like Star Trek. Okay. And these are very long-lasting uh, sort of pop culture touchstones. And the reason why they endure and have endured, uh, in Godzilla's case, about 70 years, uh, and in Star Trek's case, closer to 60, but still, mm-hmm. uh, is because they're, the, the central core concept can withstand new generations and new perspectives mm-hmm. without... Being just thrown out the window. Yeah, there's a there's a few you know characters and things who like you know now that we're in the age that we're in, it's kind of hard to justify why we would need that character. What relevance does that character yeah. have for today? Godzilla that's, that's, that's is James Bond for you. James Bond is an example of a character who uh, feels feels like a relic. He mm. they they joked about that way back in the nineties. Yeah, he, and, he was a relic in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, and. They were accurate in that, and you could tell the Pierce Brosnan movies were kind of struggling to come up with a justification for why Bond yeah. exists now. And some I, of those movies are like fun, they, but most of they all yeah. feel a little pointless, except for Goldeneye. I, I feel like they could have, they should have made Goldeneye, yeah, and then just sh- shut the series off there. Yeah, like we were, we I were good. St- we're, I still think the, like, the trick is period piece. Just set it in the sixties. Set 60s. in the sixties, which is what they did with Godzilla. They yeah, went back again. Exactly. I think because there's, that context makes even more sense. And other things, but I do think Godzilla is malleable enough as a creation mm-hmm. that you can have the uh, deeply bitter, cynical Shin Godzilla. You can have this somewhat grounded, but also melodramatic and satisfying, uh, sort of hopeful Godzilla, mm-hmm. and then you can have the American, you know absolute fucking nonsense Godzilla <laughs> which it, it, it's it about went from, government conspiracies and stuff like yeah. it went from like the first one which had a lot of problems but it wanted you to take it seriously to did you know that the earth is hollow and full of monsters and also the sky like it, what? Start, start there <laughs> like, what, are we, what are we doing now it's so nonsense but like it's, whatever it looks ridiculous the new one just yeah. released a trailer as of this recording and it looks fucking ridiculous yeah it looks absolutely i half expected godzilla and king kong to high five because they're because they're gonna they're gonna fight godzilla together godzilla x kong which admittedly is something we haven't seen Hmm. god we've seen godzilla fight king kong a few times we've never seen them aside from like mecha godzilla at the end of like the most recent uh godzilla versus kong or kong Kong versus godzilla i guess um no godzilla no it was godzilla versus kong i was getting confused aside from like a little bit there like, we've never seen him, like, be pals, because canonically, Godzilla's best pal is Anguirus. Yes. But Anguirus has not been introduced in the legendary Monsterverse. So there's a, there's a void. Yeah. I don't, so Godzilla can be best pals with King Kong. Yeah, they hang out. Isn't that nice? Anyway, that's Godzilla Minus One. It's a good movie, though. I, I, even though I liked it more than you. I think oh, both I, no, really I, good. I like yeah. it. It's really good. I think you yeah. should see it. But yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's not the best. Fair enough. 
Uh, it's that time of year. They're coming out with a lot of Christmas movies. And as I'm sure people who've been listening to this show for a while can recall, mm-hmm. I often go out of my way to watch the Christmas movies, even the ones that other critics are happily ignoring. Uh, much to Whitney's absolute chagrin. But this week is a little different. This week, Whitney <laughs> saw one and I didn't. And uh, I, I'm one of those cynical bastards who does not go out of his way to see Christmas movies. Just in general. Uh, just in general, yeah. yeah. Like, I, I... You don't have that one you watch every year. And I, like, there was a, a span there where I watched The Nightmare Before Christmas, but that was more around Halloween time. Yeah, and that's uh, the, it's kind of a two-for-one deal yeah, on that, and, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't have, like, a go-to Christmas film or yeah. I, I guess there's like some tv special like charlie brown sure gotta watch charlie brown okay every every that once counts. in a while but um every once in a while know. i see that like put on the list of the best christmas movies and i'm like eh, it's a short it was a, it was a tv short yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of drunk uh, it's on the line there <laughs> i guess ty goes uh, to the runner but there's a lot of people who say oh uh, you know the the you know, it is, is does Die Hard count as a Christmas film? It's not sure. explicitly about Christmas, but it's set at Christmas. It's, it, Some yeah, people, it's fine. Uh, most people, have generally agreed that it is. Um, <coughs> I, I will argue that it is not. <coughs> In fact, uh, nothing <coughs> is because there are no Christmas movies. Ah, there are none. They, they've all uh, they've all been put to an end. Uh, the debate is now over. Ah, oh. uh, there are no <coughs> such things as Christmas movies. Anymore. Do we have December movies? Uh, there are films that are released in December. That's as far as I'll go. Okay, so May December um, is not a December movie. May December was released in November. <laughs> so well, they, that's just so a they, lie. So they fucked up. Yeah, uh, it's like when Hocus Pocus came out in July. What are you doing to us? <laughs> or uh, or when Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow mm. came out like the like first the, week of November, the week after Halloween. Yeah, it's like oh no, God. you put that out like week before Halloween. Absolutely. What are you doing? And a lot of like the most famous Christmas movies. I think It's a Wonderful Life came out in the summer. Yeah. Like they just, they... I think Gremlins was a June release. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, this one is a Christmas movie. Uh, it's released in the first weekend of December. It's called Candy Cane Lane. Yeah. From the director of that uh, Sidney Poitier documentary from last year, really, as well as the film Boomerang. So he's worked with Eddie Murphy. Oh, it's uh, Reggie Hudlin. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, he also like wrote Black Panther. And, yeah, uh, he that, he's, uh, he's been working in, in Hollywood for a long time. Yeah, uh, he's made a Christmas movie with Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy's kind of back. He was in semi-retirement there for a second mm. um, because his movies weren't doing well. Films like A Thousand Words and Meet Dave. Were yeah, just, he was on nobody a, was going to see. He him. was on a really bad streak, but then mm. like he, you know. Got a few good roles again, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, Dolomite, Dolomite yeah. which he should have been Oscar nominated. Dol- for. That's a great he, fucking. He's movie. everybody's great in Dolomite, oh, but a wonderful um, movie. Uh, but uh, this is a typical family fair with a lot of special effects and a lot of uh, comedians that you might recognize. And uh, what what is what is the premise? Okay, because the only thing I could I've heard a lot of radio spots for this for some reason, just uh-huh. totally random, and it seems like. We're gonna decorate the house for Christmas, and that's it. Uh, so Eddie Murphy and his family. Uh, his wife is played by Tracy Ellis Ross. Okay. Uh, they live on you know typical suburban street in I think they live in El Segundo, California. Okay. And oh, they have a, a contest on their street, and it's been announced mm-hmm. that they're whoever wins this contest this year mm-hmm. uh, will get one hundred thousand dollars from a sponsor. Okay. Big cash prize. Uh, which Eddie Murphy has to work very, very hard to get because he's just been laid off from his job. He, he just laid, just got laid off. He now he needs the money, mm-hmm. and now he needs to work really hard to beat his evil neighbor, played by Ken Marino. Uh, 
Oh, I do like him right now. And and he's not. He's actually not evil. He's actually very affable. But he's okay. he's he's favored to win. Got it. Uh, so he goes out shopping for uh, Christmas decor, and he finds this mysterious building that had never been before, been there before, underneath a freeway. And inside is a woman named Pepper, who's dressed like an elf, and is played by Jillian Bell, who I adore. Oh, she's wonderful. I love Jillian Bell. She is unbearably hilarious. Yep. And uh, he pays a bunch of money and gets a 12 days of Christmas, like, 20-foot-tall Christmas tree decoration to put Mm. on his lawn. And it spins, and it looks like it's animated. And uh, wouldn't you know it, when he got this thing, he signed a receipt to get it. It turns out Mm. he was signing a contract. Okay. And when uh, the next morning, all of the 12 days of Christmas have escaped. Okay, so it's a 12 Days of Christmas movie. So it's a 12 Days of Christmas movie, where the the literal beings from the song 12 Days of Christmas begin running amok in El Segundo, and he has to gather them back up and uh, gather together the magical rings from the five gold rings so that he can uh, restore his, uh, fulfill his contract and fulfill or escape an evil fate that this uh, evil Jillian Bell character has put out on him. They really should have called this 12 Days of Christmas. Or, or, uh, or Candy Cane Lane tells me nothing. That well, could be also, Christmas with the cranks for all I yeah, know. Yeah, and, and the, the thing is, we have this kind of sinister elf character played mm. by Jillian Bell, and she plays it like, you know, it's really chewing scenery. Yeah. And uh, there's, you know, signing contracts, and we actually see what happens because he sneaks around and he sees these little uh, Hummel figurines, little clay people mm. living in a little Christmas diorama in the shop. And... When he looks long enough, he starts seeing them move around and they start to talk and they become major characters in the movie. One of them is voiced by Nick Offerman. Okay. Uh, and it turns out there were people who uh, failed to fulfill their contracts. So now they're oh, doomed so there's to consequences. Be, yeah. Stakes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a horror element to that. Sounds like. Like it could be kind of scary. And this film doesn't lean into the horror elements at all. I can imagine not. It's not terribly funny either. So it doesn't really lean into the comedy of it either it's just sort of like this affable pretty watchable slickly made uh fantasy family adventure Uh that you can watch with the kids the the thing that i wonder because you know i'm not shocked to find it's not particularly funny a lot of comedy especially family comedies are trying to get by on amiable yeah if if you don't laugh that's okay as long as you don't frown Mm -hmm. we'll like we'll 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 say you got your money's worth like that's where we're at um but the premise, it, it's an elevator pitch. Mm. What if the 12 days of Christmas were like a magical force that like got out like Jumanji or something? Um, and I, theoretically, what you're here to see is the fun and games of that. All of that actually mm. like we doing see. something. But a lot of them is just like, you know, uh, uh, geese. I, I did like, appreciate that the... the, the Three French hens. One of them was wearing like a striped shirt and a beret. Okay, that's funny. That's like that's, a little, little, little bit. Of it's a, a cackney cliche, yeah. but it's kind of funny. Kind of, kind of it'd, it'd be a cute yeah. image. Yeah. I imagine. Uh, are the lords a leaping? They're uh, they're like a, a Korean dance troupe, and they do like oh. backflips. They're, they're okay. leaping out. It's pretty cool. That, Man, that, that cute. doesn't sound like it's it, mm. it's a lot of chaos. It just sounds kind of fun. The maids of milking can like fill entire rooms with milk and drown people. That kind of <laughs> stuff. Okay, yeah. that makes me laugh. <laughs> that, I don't know why that makes me laugh. It's like Hydro Man, but he's mm. Milk Man. Yeah, you know, like okay, that's 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 vaguely funny. Mm. Okay, vaguely, and uh, yeah. 
And he has, uh, the Eddie Murphy character has three kids. Uh, mm-hmm. They're all named after Christmas thing. Like one of them is named Holly. Another his wife is named Carol. That Got kind of it. stuff. Yeah. Uh, and they each have their own dramas. The son is failing at math. Mm-hmm. Uh, his math teacher is played by in one scene Stephen Tobolowski. Hey, uh, wonderful supporting actor who's like rarely has a lead in anything. Is but he's no, always no, never always he's... always a good like nerdy supporting guy. Like what that's if, his that's has been his career. If you can't picture him, he was Ned Ryerson in, in Groundhog Day. It's hey, right, Ned. Ryerson! And he gets punched in the face. Yeah, yeah. Oh, one of the best punches ever because <laughs> Bill Murray does Bill? Pu- Ned! Punch! punch. Yeah. But then Topolowski knows how to take a fucking punch because what he does... <laughs> he kind of wheels he, back a little he bit. He wheels back and then flings his face in front of the camera. It's like a, it's almost like a... It's not a, it's not a 360, it's like a 270. <laughs> and it is... The abs. No one has ever taken a punch better in a movie, <laughs> ever in the history of movies. It's the greatest yeah. movie punch, at the very least, in terms of the recipient. Uh, Stephen Tobolowski <clears throat> directed a film about himself once. It's I called have... Stephen Tobolowski's Birthday Party. Yeah, and it it's about like these character actors in Hollywood who only ever play like these like these tiny supporting roles. Yeah, but they do that a lot. The the hey, it's that guy actors. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Tobolowski's in it very briefly. Yeah. But the son is failing his math class because he really wants to pursue music. And okay. his and his dad what, what, what is, grade is his class is he? Uh, he's he's like a senior in high school. Okay, then yeah, fuck it. You can you can totally slack off on math. <laughs> if, if if you and, uh, if you know if you understand your basic addition, multiplication, <laughs> fractions, uh, and by senior year you've decided what you want to do with your life and it isn't <laughs> architecture or something. Fine, skip out on trick. <laughs> You're not going to use it. But, uh, but he, ha- he hasn't been telling his parents that he's been failing, and which is an issue. And uh, his yeah. teenage daughter uh, is a track star. She wants to go across country. She wants to go to Notre Dame. Okay. Uh, whereas he's a USC guy and thinks um... that she's going to stay in town. And he has to confront his bad dad stuff. I'm so fucking sick of yeah. bad dads in movies. And, and uh, as as Eddie sort of like them a lot. As, as essentially as like a a really go-to theme in terms of family comedies. A, bad dads are a really common theme. and uh, The assumption is that the everyone in the audience goes, yeah, my dad sucks. Well, I, I think the assumption is... I, I always sense something a lot more cynical going on yeah. because I feel like the people who make these movies yeah, yeah. Uh, are like executives who are workaholics and aren't at home with their kids. And a lot of so they're making and really yeah. labor intensive, you know? So I, I imagine this is sort of like a, a, a karmic make good mm-hmm. for these workaholic dads who are making these movies away from their kids. Mm-hmm. And so they decide to make movies about dads who are away from their kids or neglectful parents in some yeah. way. They're never abusive or alcoholic parents. No, they're just, they're just, they're just yeah. mildly negligent yeah, yeah. That, I, that's i agree with you and i always find that a little like suspicious how often that very specific mm. dad because there are other stories you can tell with dads yeah. um and it's never bad moms well it's rarely it's bad rarely moms. bad moms and and oftentimes it's more of like the evil stepmother like it's not mm. about like redeeming them after they magically turn into yeah. something or other it's usually about how dad needs to marry someone else or something it's terrible um the one that I find deeply, even more cynical than that, are all of the big Hollywood movies about, like, people who are, like... And oftentimes it overlaps with the bad dad genre. Uh, people who are trying to make a lot of money, pursue a career, you know, make something for themselves and, like, you know, actually be able to, like, take care of their family in perpetuity. Uh-huh. And how they learn... 
that that's bad and that they should be okay with very little. And I'm like coming from millionaires. That is one <laughs> hell of a fucking yeah. message to try to sell us right now. Like, hey, um, listen, listen. You know what sucks way more than having no money? Having all the money in the world. Because you know mm-hmm. what? We, we choose not to spend a lot of time with our kids. <laughs> that's, that's way worse. You can mm-hmm. spend so much more time with your kids because you have no money. It's not like that requires so what, you to hustle you, more yeah, in order what, to make you, ends meet. What are you going to do with those kids with no money? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and to feed them. So out of touch. Uh, the, the other, and there's another side of that where uh, if, if you take another Christmas movie about a bad dad, uh, mm. Jingle All the Way. Oh, God. Um, one of the worst. Which, which I know is, people which like is, it, but It's, oh it's an abysmal... What people? People with terrible taste like that. <laughs> people who are eight when it came out. Yeah, fuck them. Uh, look... <laughs> No, I, th- I think it was um, uh, Alonzo Duralde yeah. has cr- uh, coined the phrase, uh, was it great or were you eight? Uh, yeah. did, did you just see it when you were eight years old and it left an impression on you? Yeah. Or is it a legitimately great movie? And, and sometimes it's o- both. Sometimes it's both. Yeah. Often it isn't. No, in the case of Jingle All the Way, that is a... Th- that is... We, we did a podcast about this once. Jingle All the Way, which is a story about a guy who uh, forgot to get his kid the most popular Christmas gift of the year and is trying to, like, dash around town doing increasingly unethical things to try to get it on the day before Christmas. That is the, like, Hollywood remake of Bicycle Thieves. Yeah, yeah. It is literally... The dad is, like, trying to, like, be a good dad, but he's only doing it for capitalistic reasons. Except, in Bicycle Thieves, it was justified... Because, because he was impoverished. Because, yeah. because they were impoverished. This guy's fucking rich. Well, and that's what like, I was going to bring yeah. up. Is, you and know, also he gets the happy ending in this he, one, which he, is he's, he's a workaholic dad. He's been yeah. working really... I think he's like a like a mattress salesman something or something. Something like that, that yeah. Something domestic. And, uh, like selling a product, yeah. Yeah, he's some kind of salesman. And um, clearly it's enough to afford a really nice home in the suburbs. Yeah, he's, he's very uh, hurting. So he, he's a workaholic dad, yeah, because he... he was making a lot of money and he's providing very well for his family. Yeah. The only thing he wasn't doing was like, he was giving his kid false promises and not following through. mm. He doesn't need to go through something magical to become a better dad. Mm. That's a very easy fix. Just fucking follow through. (laughs) Go to your kid's martial arts match or whatever he was he missed. Ridiculous. I don't. Yeah. So th- this is not nearly as bad as Jingle All the Way. Few well, things are. Okay, uh, it's th- this is it, it's like I said. It's pretty slick. The special effects are really cool. I mm. love Julian Bell. Um, there's a, there's a wonderful cameo by Santa Claus. I won't tell you who played Santa Claus. Ah, uh, is it is it like? Let me put it this Is it like? Oh, that makes sense. Or is it like? Oh, that. I didn't see that casting coming. Uh, more, more like, oh, that's fun. Okay. Uh, look, look back on In Living Color, and you'll you'll find Santa. Okay. Um, you probably figured out who it is already, did, yeah. but uh, <laughs> he's very good at Santa. Uh, comedian I very much like from In Living Color plays Santa. Yeah, uh, and and you know a lot of other fun comedians are in there. Besides, uh, it it seems pretty perfunctory. Eddie Murphy mm-hmm. hit hit it big in the early eighties. With films like 48 Hours and Beverly Hills Cop. Mm. Movies uh, with an edge to him. Yeah, the, the, yeah. And, you know, he was a pretty edgy comedian. He was known at the time for kind of how, how foul-mouthed he was. Yeah. And he's actually mm-hmm. gone on record as saying, like, yeah, some of that stuff's not cool anymore. Oh, uh, but, a lot yeah. of it's aged really poorly, yeah. but... Uh, you know, to his credit, though. To his credit, though. Yeah. You know, yeah. But, I mean, that's a lot of comedians who were working yeah. in the 80s. They were speaking the language at the time. A lot of it wasn't appropriate by today's standards. Yeah. Um, it's it's been unusual to watch him mutate from somebody who had edge 
to a comedian who is working in like high concept comedies, mm. like like his Nutty Professor remake. Uh, it is it's not hilarious, but he played multiple characters. That was a shtick for a long time. He played many yeah. many different characters. Uh, he did that in Coming to America. He did that in, uh, uh, gosh, any of his films, really. Yeah, a lot of them, yeah. Uh, he didn't play multiple characters in Dolomite, did he? No, I don't think uh, so, no. No. Even did that in a Wes Craven movie. Uh, speak, yeah, did Vampire speaking in Brooklyn, of a, yeah. Speaking of that time in the 90s when everybody was trying to figure out what was going on right? in Vampire in Brooklyn. Uh so even though he's making some some of these movies aren't great, but he's at least reaching for something. You know, Bowfinger, he played multiple roles in that one. Oh, that's a great movie. Uh, there's no ambition left for something like Candy Cane Lane. It's really special effects heavy. It's high, you know, but it's not a very high concept movie. Yeah, just sort of like this affable family adventure. I and there's no reason to have any Murphy in a role like this. He's mm. playing such a bland everyman that I, it just made me miss his talent. Like yeah. wh- where's the, the Eddie Murphy who can be funny yeah. and it's, it's, react to things in a really kind of over the top funny way. He's I, not I, in this movie. I think it's okay for, obviously it's okay for performers to, you know, they can grow, evolve. They can grow, do whatever they evolve, want, but yeah, you know, calm down if they had a lot of energy. Mm. Like they just, that's not who they are. That's not where they're at right now. Creatively or personally, they get a lot less angry a lot of the time. Mm. Um, my point being, but, but this the, is a comedy film. No, no, no. I understand that. I understand that. It just, it, it sometimes it just feels like I, I, I miss you, man. Where yeah. did you go? Like that's for me, like ice cube. Yeah. Like if you had told me when like Ice Cube was just <laughs> getting started in the industry, yeah. like like in like the late eighties, early nineties, if you had told me that guy would have started in multiple Are We There Yet movies, I would have been like, No. Yeah. Really? Weird. And good for him. I'm sure, I'm sure he seemed to enjoy it, I guess. I'm sure he's happy, but like weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just long. like I, the early stuff was really great. Okay. Anyway, um, so Candy Cane Lane. Uh, there is another Christmas movie we're reviewing this week. And this one is a film from John Woo. Mm-hmm. John Woo is back. He hasn't made a movie in America in about 20 years. Since Paycheck. Was that that was his last one? That was his yeah, last, was, uh, last American yeah. film. He's made a few films in China since oh, then. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hong he's Kong, he, he's yeah. still been working. But, like, yeah, he hasn't... He was... In the uh, in the '90s, when they started like uh, uh, bringing a lot of people over from Hong Kong, Hong Kong filmmakers like Ringo Lam and Choi Hark, and they started like giving them like Hollywood projects. Uh, for the most part, they were relegated to like crappy Jean Claude Van Damme movies. Yeah, that including, includes John, John Woo. Woo. Yeah, John Woo was the hard one. target. John Woo's Hard Target is such a fucking awesome action movie. It's nonsense, but it's so fucking amazingly directed that. It did pretty well, and it got him bigger and bigger projects. And he was like the one director from that class of the Hong Kong sort of gun fu uh, uh, action filmmakers who actually hit it pretty big in America with films like Broken Arrow and Face Off. Uh, and then you know I had a couple of films that no. underwhelmed Mission. Well, Mission Impossible Two was a big hit. Actually, people forget it, that it's not it's not the best liked one, but it made money. Well, it's also a, 
a, a terrible movie. Agreed. Um, I, don't, I can't John, really blame John Woo for that, though. John, John like Woo's a, a American output is pretty abysmal across the board. Because, uh, dude. I haven't seen Broken Arrow. Broken Arrow is fine. It's, hard, not, hard, it's not an amazing movie, but it's a good action. Hard Target has a script that makes no sense whatsoever. That's so fun. Uh, I adore Face Off, face off but I, everybody loves Face Off for kind of how stupid the premise is, and they just rolled really hard into it. They and did. Like, let these two two American actors just sort of overact as much yeah. as they wanted. Where John Travolta is playing Nick Cage. And Nick Cage is playing John Travolta. Okay, sold. You're right. Good. That's the best thing ever. Just going to overact a lot. You finally got through that door, huh? There's a little kitty there. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, and then he did Mission Impossible 2, which is terrible. And yeah. he did Paycheck, which is terrible. No, he did Wind, uh, he did wind Talkers first. Oh, uh, wind, oh, of course, Wind Talkers. How, is, can, how can I forget Wind Talkers? Which was, which was which well is about, intentioned, but not na- very good. Which is about Navajo code speakers during World War II, but they still made it about the white guy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's directed by John Woo. Yeah, it's a weird film. But mm. uh, And then Paycheck, which is based off of... Philip a, K. Dick book an story. An amazing yeah. Philip K. Dick story. It's Seriously, it's one of my favorite short stories ever written. Mm-hmm. It's fucking great and it did not even need to be changed to turn into a movie it would have been it wouldn't have had as much action as they wanted in a john woo movie but it would have been an incredible sci-fi movie people would have fucking loved it paycheck became this weird bizarre beast and it's watchable but not very good but yeah like john woo you know compared to his earlier stuff films like the killer hard-boiled bullet mm. to the head which is sadly harder to find but it's really really great it's like john woo what if john woo did the deer hunter that's basically oh, gosh, bullet okay. to the head but here's the thing with john woo's uh, movies that i think uh we think of films like the killer which is this really excellent uh sort of jean-pierre melville but with amazing action sort of hitman melodrama we think of hard-boiled which is this really hardcore over-the-top action movie but what we forget is that in films like Face Off and Once a Thief and his like early Wuxia film, Last Throw for Chivalry, he's also funny. Like, he's capable of understanding that his over-the-top balletic action can be ridiculous. Yeah. And there is something to be enjoyed in that, and it doesn't even necessarily need to undermine the story. You can have both. And I think the better John Woo movies, there's a couple of the serious ones that work really well, but I think the better ones actually have a pretty good marriage of a certain exaggerated, uh, uh, heightened reality and drama and humor, and also like some serious character work. So when his new movie, Silent Night, opens with a slow-mo credit sequence of Joel Kinnaman running at the camera for about three minutes... In slow motion, and the camera keeps lingering on his jingling reindeer sweater that's splashed with blood. He's got a he's got a jingle bell on a necklace like yeah. around his neck, and it's yeah. Bouncing. And he's got like and he's got like Colin First reindeer sweater from Bridget Jones, like that kind of like bad Christmas sweater, and he's like got this angry face. I thought to myself, "Oh, John Woo, John Woo knows this is ridiculous. John mm. Woo is actually going to have some fun." And this is going to be a fun movie. And it is not that at all. It is grim to the point of being absolutely monotone. Uh, It's... I'm not a huge fan of John Woo. I saw the I saw the Killer uh, when it came out in the ninety. In it came out in eighty nine. It came out in America a little little bit later. So I saw it like in the mid nineties and thought it was fine. Uh, You know, Mm. sort of. Did you see like good good, gigantic? uh, Yes. Operatic kind of action picture, 
he's very good at a kind of action that I don't care for. <laughs> um, that sort of gigantic balletic uh, ho- ho- um, hospital sequence and hard boil. It's mm-hmm. like lots of slow motion gunfire yeah, like, and things. Just, I, just, I, well, you're I, just I not an action movie no, guy, just, really. Uh, at some point, like I was watching that mo- uh, hard boil. It's like it, it made me really sad in reasons <laughs> for reasons I can't okay. really define. No, I mean that, that was my reaction. It's like I'm watching this. I'm just getting really depressed. Well, I think the part of not, it is not you're actually supposed of, to be. It's a condemnation. No, of it's it's about. it's not because of something that's going on in the movie. The movie's ah. doing everything right. I'm just reacting to it. Like, and it's just making me sad watching sure. that movie. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm coming into uh, Silent Night with a little bit of skepticism because I've also mm. seen Mission Impossible Two kind of recently. Mm. I also saw his last film though, which was a Netflix only here in the states. Oh, I missed um, that it, one. It was, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was called I think Manhunt. Um, yeah, I missed that one. I heard yeah. that was was that good. I heard and that was okay. Good. That was yeah. like a, a kind of a modest cop drama. It yeah. was less action forward and more uh, sort of intrigue. When he did an incredible uh, film uh, in two, it was two thousand eight mm. uh, called Red Cliff. It was, he did this yeah, like five hour historical. Yeah, epic. yeah, absolutely. They they like really cut it down for American to like one like kind of two and a half hour movie. Uh, but like, see the original. That movie's fucking amazing. That, that <laughs> I, is a great start. That's, that's something I need to get to because that sounds yeah. like kind of like his masterwork, if you want to use that kind of word. Um, um, yeah. But yeah, here he is with Silent Night, uh, and I'm I'm waiting for him to prove himself to me. He uh-huh. has to come to me now. Uh huh. And he stays way over there. <laughs> I, it's a <laughs> he, it's a weird project. Uh, this is a, a premise that I've seen in dozens of action pictures. Mm. Man's uh, man's young son is killed. Yeah, and we spent a lot of time establishing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like so, the yeah. first half hour of the movie is that yeah. one plot point. Uh, yeah, so it opens with this chase. He's cornered by these really kind of racist caricature characters yeah. of, yeah. of uh, Latino gangsters. They shoot him in the neck, and he loses his ability to speak. There's no dialogue in this film. Yeah, there's... Which is kind of more of a gimmick than something that's revealing how terse the situation I is. I want to talk about that, because uh, there's there's a couple of movies lately that have been tried to do sort of a modern, silent movie. The mm-hmm. sci-fi horror film, No One Will Save You. Yeah, which, is, which I love No One Will Save You. That's a great fucking movie. Yeah. I want to talk about what that film does that this film doesn't mm-hmm. in a minute. But, like, yeah. So, he can't speak... And for no particular reason, no one else in the film does either. Yeah, there's some incidental dialogue on radios. Yeah, but, but yeah, like very, is, very it, we're, we're trying yeah. to tell a story visually, and that, yeah. I, that's fine. I appreciate that. In that's theory, not a, that works. It's not a detriment at all. Yeah. It just I, I don't feel like John Woo is doing anything interesting with that. Yeah. Uh, and so this uh, Joel Kinnaman character uh, decides to get revenge, mm-hmm. and he does, and that's all we can really talk about in the plot. He spends a um, whole year, like, just because he tri- he's a normal guy. Mm. Like, he's motivated, but he's not, like, you know, he wasn't, like, a special forces guy. He except, just except pull he out lo- his go bag. Except he's, you know, Joel Kinnaman. He looks like an angry vampire. Like, he's... <laughs> so, so he spends a whole year training, learning guns, learning how to drive a car real cool, learning how to stab people real cool, so that next Christmas... Mm-hmm. He can kill them all, and that's pretty much the last and, chunk of the movie. And in yeah. fact, there's there's a, a moment, and you say uh, John Woo kind of is aware of how ridiculous a lot of his stuff is. I think there's often a shot, he is. Often in this one, he I don't think he is. I, I think think so he's trying either. to tell it really straight. And there's yeah. a scene where Joel Kinnaman flips forward a calendar and writes on the calendar on Christmas Eve, "Kill them all." Like that's yeah. just on the calendar. No, it's, it's laughable, it's, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's this un- unbelievably dumb B movie moment that yeah. is sold completely straight. And that's the thing without any because like, this is 
when you're doing silent filmmaking and there's a lot of nuance to silent filmmaking and there's a lot of really interesting sort of cinematic language you can harken back to. Um, but on some level, you can't employ a lot of the screenwriting tricks that people use today to obfuscate clunky or hackneyed scripts. Mm. You can take sort of the skeleton of the most obvious action movie ever, the they killed someone I love and now I'm going to kill them all thing. That's been done to death. I've, I've yeah, lost track. I couldn't count how many films I've seen with that basic premise. I've, I've even, and the, but I've, the point is that you yeah. can't like smooth that over with fun dialogue. Hmm. You have to rely on the actual sequence of events and those sequence of events are perfunctory. Hmm. They might be sad, but they're perfunctory. But there's there's not no twist in that. He None. just sort of sets it up and goes about it and then just kills a bunch you, of guys. You don't find out like one like, guy who like you thought was a good guy was a bad guy or anything like yeah, that. Or, or it's he, like, you know, it's, there's, there's nothing. Not even, it's very straight line. There's not even uh, a sense that this guy is like losing his soul. Like his yeah. wife leaves him in yeah. the course of his sort of training to, to kill all these gangsters. Yeah. But there is, I don't get a sense that John Woo thinks this man is turning into a monster. He's actually doing something really kind of badass and he gets to drive a fast mm. car and murder a bunch of people in a cool way. Mm. Uh, there's no judgment of this character everything he does is totally right uh and in fact john woo goes out of his way to depict the gangsters as cartoonishly evil yeah to the point where they become like inhuman and uninteresting you know i look and, at this... and kind of offensive in a lot of ways yeah um i look at this movie and i kept thinking of there are two movies um there are two movies i kept thinking of as i was watching this one was behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon Okay. Because that is a movie about a guy who is a slasher movie villain, but it's a documentary about what he does when he isn't killing people. And it's mm. all about him preparing to kill people. Yeah. And, and how, how he sets up the house and how yeah. he hides bodies, that kind of stuff. And I remember right? watching that movie. It's a great movie. It's really, really funny. It actually has like a bit more like character and like stakes and everything that you might think. Cause it's not just it's not just a fun premise. They do a lot with it. But it made me think about like just how much all these like revenge movie action movies that we've got mm. are essentially a slasher except all the victims are people the audience is supposed to think deserves it. Yeah, which you could argue that's also a lot of slasher movies. Well, that's but, yeah. fair enough. But like, but my point is it's not just like they deserve it because they're assholes or because mm. they're bad boyfriends or or something. Uh, they're, they're genuinely like... They're criminals. The, yeah. the, the movie thinks they are irredeemable. Yes. And I've seen this done well. The Crow. Okay, it's yeah. a great example of this movie done well. It's a super stylized movie. It's yeah. a super stylized movie. It leans into the operatic quality of it. It's got, you know, the sort of literally coming back from beyond the grave. Adds this level of uh, sort of ghostly campfire story, uh, poetic justice to everything. Uh, and it gives you license to play those villain characters really, really over the top. But here, because it's not in that, like, really artificial world, every time they have these artificial elements, it's really fucking weird. The leader of the the gang, the mm-hmm. guy who is directly responsible for killing his son, and that's, like, the last person on his list, um, lives at the top of, like, a building, and it's Christmas, and he has, in the middle of, like, running a gang war tonight, 
uh, has decked out the top floor with a whole lot of giant Christmas ornaments Mm. so that he can dance with his girlfriend. And I'm like, I cannot picture this guy (laughs) going to to Michael's or Joanne's and like picking out (laughs) all of these decorations and saying, telling his his guys, that one goes there. No, raise that one higher. That'll, That'll catch the light. I can't imagine that. It's not that kind of a universe. Yeah. If it if this movie was really over the top, if this movie was really broadly drawn, if the characters were ridiculous, you could have gotten away with it. Mm. But you can't because it's grim and it's gritty and ultimately that just makes it leaden. <laughs> it's yeah. it's dull and there are some cool actiony moments in the last half, like a couple. Technically, I suppose. There's, there's, yeah. there's like a couple. I was like, that's cool. I haven't seen someone do that with a car. Cool. Hmm. All right, fine. It's but not it's, worth it. It's, well, not like, it's, not it's, like, it's not like the action's so fucking phenomenal. I could say, we'll see it for the yeah. action. I can't say that. Yeah, and, it's not that good. And there are movies like that that are really thin, but they just have a lot of really well thought out brutal action sequences that are really well choreographed and filmed. Mm-hmm. They So you're willing to forgive it. Um, yeah sequences in like the raid movies for yeah. instance that th- those movies don't have a lot going on yeah but there's a lot of cool broad stuff that you're going to be entertained through the end just yeah. watching people getting ripped apart that's fun yeah um th- this is john woo and he's sleepwalking it like yeah. he, he has no ideas that he's contributing mm. to this it's, it's, it's the action it's, is not that interesting it's shallow material yeah. like even you know like you know something like the killer or hard-boiled you know the, the plots are a little elaborate and hard-boiled but and the, but the killer is relatively straightforward but it really plays up the themes and the characters and was it the killer with the the blind person yeah, yeah. at the beginning of the killer chime fat is a hitman he, he goes on a hit and he's killing a bunch of guys and then he accidentally in the course of his mission blinds a, a singer a lounge singer and uh, he goes to her later uh-huh. and befriends her and falls in love with her and he starts only doing jobs to pay for her surgery to fix her eyesight yeah so it's about his, it's about him trying to redeem himself but he's only doing it through more murder and there's a mm. lot of irony there and the idea yeah, of yeah, a yeah. cop who yeah. comes to respect him and vice versa there's a lot of good sort of examination yeah. of macho bullshit yeah, in that movie and it's great it's a great fucking movie but it's, it actually is about things and it cares about stuff I've, this is I've always not... had had a, a bit of an issue with the strange morality of a lot of these action movies sure. I'll, I'll murder 30 people oh no but I blinded one other just murder that one too who cares well, you're just murdering a bunch of people the, what's one more well again you're you're, you're... <laughs> the the that sort of limited morality is mm-hmm. sort of like that's why in like these a, I, I have I have lines I won't cross. You just killed thirty fucking people. What yes, lines but are none left? Of them, but none of them were under eighteen. Yeah, it's like oh like, okay. So yeah, so as soon as you no turn eighteen, you're free, fair game. Yeah. Like, I won't kill any kids. I'm like, but you'll kill all their parents. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> kill the kids too. Why not? Well, kill I mean, them? Jesus. Like Jeez. I'm, I'm whatever. It's it's a weird genre, and we have come to accept a variety of. things. Point is, it's sex. <laughs> That is the point, isn't it? It's it's really disappointing. I really wanted. I was excited. It sounded like John Woo was trying something different, mm-hmm. and he was actually trying something really conventional and drab, which is yeah, a slight yeah. gimmick. And honestly, like here's the thing: No One Will Save You is a genre film about an alien invasion. It is about a young woman living on all alone mm. in a town where no one talks to her as a plot point. Yeah, she's, there, she's there's justification. Ostracized. She's ostracized. Yeah, yeah. here. It's really distracting that no one's talking. Besides Joel Kinnaman. Joel Kinnaman, there's an excuse for his character, but like Mm -hmm. other people, 
would probably want to communicate some things with him every once in a while. And they don't even communicate with each other. There's a whole lot of plot points that are really fucking weird. Just because the movie has decided this is a world in which everyone's like super laconic. And it's a strange choice. And it just isn't justified by anything. Yeah. yeah, It it doesn't strengthen or change the premise. Yeah. And if the movie isn't heightened enough that you can just get away with just saying it's a silent movie and we'll Mm. make it look like a silent movie and we'll evoke that. It's like, no, you try to justify it. But then all of the things you have to change to make that reality work aren't changed in a way that makes sense. So even the gimmick doesn't work, and that's annoying. Anyway, tell me about Eileen. Um, Eileen is the latest film from William Oldroyd. Uh, who did that film, Lady Macbeth, with Florence Pugh a couple oh, shit. years back. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, I really liked Lady Macbeth. You did. Uh, and I really liked Florence Pugh in that movie. You called uh, it, by the way, when that movie came true. out. You're said, like, Florence Pugh's going to be said, a big keep, deal. Keep an eye on Florence Pugh, and I, I can yeah. be smug about that, because she, she's a big star now. Um, Eileen is, takes place in uh, Boston mm-hmm. in maybe 1960. Uh, Thomas and Mackenzie is the lead character. She's Eileen. Yay! Uh, and she has... An inter- intermittent Boston accent. Okay. <laughs> they, they try to give everybody these, like, really broad Boston accents, and not everybody's doing it quite right. Yeah. Um, Thomas and Mackenzie is an English actress, so yeah. she's doing her, doing her best. Okay. Better than... Thomas and Mackenzie is actually really emerging as an actress who is, like, zeroing in on these really kind of <clears throat> wounded characters mm-hmm. who have, like, a, a, a hidden rage in them. And that's mm-hmm. certainly true of Eileen. <clears throat> Um, you're like you saw last night at Soho, right? Unfortunately, yeah, yeah, not not a great film. I, I didn't care for it. No, it's well um, photographed, I guess, but that's uh, not as I, far as it'll go. I I feel like Edgar Wright's kind of sauntering downwards as well, but um, uh, yeah, he, in in this film she plays a young woman who works at like as a secretary in a boys' prison. Okay, she's also uh, like everything's sort of unraveling around her. She lives with her father, who's played by Shay Wiggum, mm. and he's just grievously alcoholic. Like, he's drunk, drunk all the time. And the car she drives constantly smokes out of the radiator into the cabin. Oh, that's so, she, so there's, like, smoke coming out of the window. They could die doing that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everything's really just dangerous in her life. Yeah. And she is horny. Oh. Uh, within the first, like, 15 minutes, there's two masturbation scenes. Okay. Uh, there's a scene, like, the opening scene is she's in this horrible car in the snowy uh, climb uh, at Makeout Peak. And she sees a couple going at it in the next car over. And she's, like, clearly hot and bothered. She reaches out, out of the car, gets a big fistful of snow, and shoves it down her pants. Like, she's got to cool off. Like, ah, that, okay. That's, that's, yeah, that's does, does it make, on. like, a steam noise and go... It, no, that, that's like a Leslie Nielsen okay. movie. Okay. <laughs> right. Sounds like it. And she, you know, she's having, like, these sexual fantasies about the guards in the prison. Like, she, she's okay. clearly, like, gritting her teeth in sexual frustration. And she goes home to this alcoholic father. There's no friendship or yeah. warmth in her life. Uh, until... Wouldn't you know it? Anne Hathaway comes in and she's very glamorous. She looks like a movie star. She's got a big blonde wig and she's going to be the psychiatrist at this local prison. And she's the only one who treats the Thomas and McKenzie character. She's the only, only one who treats Eileen with any kind of warmth or kindness and even says, hey, I don't know anybody in town. Can we go out for a drink? Mm. And Thomas and Mackenzie is yes, I am in love with lesbian Anne Hathaway. Let's do this. Okay. <laughs> and it, yeah, it becomes this really kind of... Uh, very intense sapphic romance and kind of almost mm. in this pot boilery pulp novel but, kind of it, but actually like mm. it, it's not subtext 
It's actual it's, text. It's, it's pretty text because okay, uh, yeah, there's okay. a scene where um, Anna Hathaway leaves the bar and they, they go to the bar and they dance together. They don't dance yeah. with any of the men. And she leaves the bar and, and uh, Thomas McKenzie runs back inside, picks up her cigarette butt and starts smoking it. Like there's, ah. there's this lustful connection between okay. these two women. Uh, and and uh, you know, a lot of uh, sort of she goes out, There's she misses her. A lot of this takes up maybe the first 70 minutes of this movie. And the movie's 97 minutes long. Okay, so... Okay. About 70 minutes in, that's when we introduce the story. Oh, There's shit. this big twist as to what's going on, and it turns into this kind of noir thing with a lot of, like, violence and, and un- unknow- unknowable moral things happening. But, as soon um, as you said Anne Hathaway mm. was blonde, I was like, is this a Hitchcock thing? Because <laughs> that, that's often a code the, in thrillers, if you have, like, a really have, prominent, it's not like a very hit, blonde... It's not a Hitchcock vibe, but there is a, a crime in progress okay. that, we, that we learn about later in the movie. And right. I, I don't want to reveal what it is, because it happens so late in the film. Uh, I feel like if they had gotten to that twist halfway through the movie, uh-huh. and we could sort of work through the crime a little bit longer, it would make a little bit more sense structurally. Yeah. As it is, I loved everything up into that moment. Yeah. And I actually did like sort of the moment after the crime. After the crime, we actually meet a criminal character. And I don't want to say who it is, because that, that's also yeah. a spoiler. Yeah, yeah. But they actually, uh, we reveal what uh, what crimes have been committed, what's what? been going on. Yeah. Uh, and there's this wonderful monologue that the criminal character gives about like what their motivation was. And that's great. Mm. It's a great performance from that actor. But it it's like a different, it comes out of a different movie. Yeah. We're not really sure where this is all supposed to be going. And then all of a sudden it turns into this almost like road trip. We got to commit a crime and do something really desperate at the last minute kind of a story. Whenever that happens in a movie, I think of uh, Anthony Hopkins and silence of the lambs. Mm. No, no, no. You were doing fine. fine. (laughs) Just have it be this, this sort of like sapphic pot boiler. And and I'm good. And I like that, but you're going to read a lot of descriptions about Eileen that describe it as a noir or as a crime movie. And you're going to be waiting for it, and it yeah. comes really late in the film that it's a noir or a crime movie. Maybe they shouldn't be selling it that way, because mm-hmm. that that way it'd be a surprise. Yeah, yeah. Well, like that's I'm, the that's the that's the genesis effect, isn't it? Yeah. Where you've got a, a plot point in your movie that is sadly the most marketable thing in your movie, you're, but it happens so late it's considered a spoiler. You're talking about Terminator Genesis, yeah, not yeah, the, uh, yeah. Terminator yeah. Genesis, or another good example of this is the Wes Craven movie Red Eye, mm. where you, the big you, plot twist happens a, thirty minutes into those movies, yeah. and you're not supposed to know that going in. But, but there's no way to sell it otherwise. You can't market yeah. the movie. You can't sell Red Eye, which is a story about Killian Murphy like kidnapping Rachel McAdams on an airplane. You can't sell that movie and only tell people about the first 30 minutes because they're going to think they're buying tickets to a romantic comedy and they're going to be mad at you. Yeah. So you have to tell them it's a thriller. But then that first 30 minutes, we're just waiting for the movie to catch up with us. Mm. And that sucks that you have to consider marketing when you're ma- telling a story like this, yeah, but you yeah. kind of do. Yeah. So, um... Yeah. So I'm, I'm sorry to be that guy to, to reveal yeah. that this is a crime movie, but you're going to hear that it's a crime movie yeah, and there's well. a crime in it. And uh, I like the crime. I like okay. that. But it's so just, it, it's just, just the, the structure is a little bit odd. Yeah. Uh, more than anything, it's actually a really strong character piece. Okay. Um, Thomas and Mackenzie's really good in it. She's, she, she's um, So is Anne Hathaway. Yeah, Thomas and McKenna, I, I she started when she was a kid, I think. Yeah, like yeah one she of was in the, uh, like Leave No Trace. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's good in Leave No Trace. Great in Leave um, No Trace. She's really good in Jojo Rabbit. She's good in everything. Yeah. 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 I, I, 
She, this is like less than in Soho, notwithstanding. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, she. I, I haven't seen her be quite this intense before. She's mm. actually playing like a little bit more of a nuanced, complex, uh, aggressive character, which yeah. I like. Good. Uh, I like the care- chemistry between her and Anne ha- the Anne Hathaway character. Um, Great. This, yeah, she. She. Yeah. She's starting to impress me as an actress. Is my point, and yeah. um, uh, I don't want to say it's a pity because it's not a pity. It's just. It doesn't, doesn't quite come together it, well. it doesn't yeah it doesn't cohere as, as well there, it might have there just, just structurally yeah there were worse crimes than just like we, we did a thing and maybe it was a little rushed at the end but mm. pieces are still good that, I, that's a way I worse thing for a movie to be it's really the best way to put it it's just it's a little rushed at the end if, yeah. if it, they just went on for like another 15 minutes or so yeah. I really explored that, the, the falling action of what happened in that last part of the movie that's a good it would example. Have been a little bit stronger. That's a good example of like why we have like our rating system at the end because we spend a lot of time talking about this criticism, but it sounds like it really doesn't kill the movie. No, it just prevents know. it from being truly great. So mm-hmm. the fact that we're spending a lot of time talking about the criticism doesn't mean that there isn't that it's a bad movie per se. Yeah. But let's get we'll it's get, actually really gripping up into that yeah. point too. So let's do a review roundup. Mm-hmm. We review movies on a scale of C minus to C plus. Uh, an average movie would be a C because that's how grades work. Uh, but a C plus is above average, and those are movies that we genuinely recommend. Uh, and then a C minus is is below average, and those are movies that we don't recommend for one reason or another. Whitney, Eileen, uh, Eileen, um, it, it you know it's a C plus. Really, I, even I, I with think, that, yeah, okay. I, I think even even with the weird structure, it's a really good, strong character piece with great mm. performances in it, and it's so atmospheric and it's so well put together and it's so mm. well photographed. Uh, all, all of these things make it into a pretty solid film. Uh, and even after that twist, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, okay, Silent Night. I, I might, um, you know, ask me tomorrow, I might change my mind. No, that's to, true today, for a lot I'm of gonna, I'm, today I'm going to say C+. Plus. In regards to Silent Night, you know, most gimmick movies uh, actually try to do something with their gimmick. And I suppose the gimmick of Silent Night is that they didn't. So, <laughs> uh, it is a really kind of a big disappointment and it's it it does not work i'm going to see my eyes even if it this you didn't think this is john woo like even if it wasn't a disappointment it's just a bad film it's just not good if anyone directed this i would say this is not very well done no no it's it's a couple of okay action bits but eh. you could pick up any super low budget b action film from 1986 yeah. out of out of a VHS bin somewhere and, and find the this. an identical film yeah more uh, or less it, it's about as good as that the, the thing is yeah. with those B movie like action movies they're usually made by like kooky guys on a shoestring they have personality and they're, yeah, yeah. And, they're, and they're really trying to push something so even those terrible B movies from the, the mid 80s yeah. are going to be better than this which is yeah. trying to look really slick and serious alright so B, uh, C- is all around C- Candy Cane yeah. Lane uh I don't hate it. It's not a hateable film, but I don't really like it either. Well, it's okay. I'll give it a really high C minus. Okay. Uh, just okay. You know, if, if a forgiving C minus. A forgiving C minus. Uh, yeah. Like I said, does nothing offensive. Yeah. Which doesn't G- do anything particularly good. Jillian Bell's really good. I just want it to yeah. be funnier. I want it to be scarier. I want it to be something, have some more personality than it yeah. did. All right. And then lastly, Godzilla minus one. Uh, it's a C plus. Yeah. I, I did like Godzilla minus one yeah. quite yeah. a lot. Uh, Godzilla minus one. I I really do think it's a it's a great take on Godzilla that e- even though it kind of abandons the cynicism that's at the heart of the more serious Godzilla movies, it still works. It's still really really rousing, good World mm-hmm. War Two melodrama uh, that doesn't just happen to have Godzilla in it. That's not incidental. 
Uh, but it also centers around this incredible like pop culture icon and uses it to well to good effect. Okay. So it's definitely worth seeing. If you can see it in the theater, I do recommend that it. it's a good spectacle film. Uh, but even if you can't, make sure whenever you get the opportunity, you check it out because it's totally worth it. Uh, next time on Critically Acclaimed, uh, we're going to review some movies. We sure are. Damn it. <laughs> uh, is uh, uh, Poor Things coming out next week? Poor Things comes out next Poor week. Poor Things comes, comes out. out. The, the New York Lanthimos movie. Yeah, I'm gonna, and I'm, I think the new Hiyami Azaki goes into wide release. That's we'll, right. We'll like, that I think well. it's a limited right now, but yeah, yeah we'll, the, we'll get it. The Boy and the later. Heron. We'll be reviewing that next week. Which, which they changed the title. Yes, they did. The original That's... title, they were selling it as How Do You Live, which is a more literal version of the title. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they changed it to The Boy and the Heron. Yeah, that, that, that just happens. That happened with... Um, Suzumi, the latest film from the director of Your Name and Weathering mm. With You, the original title was uh, loosely translated, uh, Suzumi is Locking Up. Okay. And they just changed it to the character's name, Suzumi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that's so not bad. so bad. I feel, that's not so bad, but it's also, I actually, I interviewed that director on the Slash film, and we talked about that, about mm. how that like, sort of changes the context of the film, and what gets lost in translation, and why he's kind of fine with that, actually, mm. which is kind of a cool uh, approach to it. So that's a really cool interview, and if you I uh, want to check that out on Slash Film. You can read it. Um, anyway, uh, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you all of our patrons, without whom we couldn't do this. Uh, if you're a patron, you get to listen to our episodes ad-free. Uh, you also get a whole lot, whole lot of exclusive shows. Um, that's over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, we're going to do an episode of We've Got Mail this week, and we're very excited about it. It's been too long. Our email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us a physical letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yep, and we're on social media at Critic Acclaim. I am at all the social medias at William Bibiani. Nice, same thing, but at Whitney Seibel. And, um,. Yeah, I guess that's it. Never forget, everyone is a Godzilla. I wanna go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what?